And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to episode 12 of the Lace Them Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. And we hope you have had a very festive holiday season so far and hopefully have spent uh, some much-needed uh, rest and relaxation with your family and your friends, and hopefully around the TV watching some hockey. Uh, before we begin, uh, shout-outs to all the players who have worn number 12 over the course of their careers, including the late Sean Beliveau, he wore number 12. Uh, the late Dickie Moore also wore number 12. Um, Paul Biznasty Bissonnette, he wore number 12, yes. as did Peter Bondra. And Neil Brady, who scored the first goal in modern Ottawa Senators franchise history. Uh, Alex Chieson, while he was a member of the Dallas Stars, he wore number 12 as well. Uh, Yvonne Cornier uh, of the Montreal Canadiens, of course, uh, wore number 12. Wayne Cashman, a longtime Boston Bruin. Um, and Adam Oates also wore number 12. Who can forget about Marcel Dion and Simon Gagné as well? Um... Eric Stahl, Billy Guerin, Phil Esposito, Patrick Marlowe, Ottawa native Mitch Lamoureux, who had a successful career in the AHL. Coyotes GM Don Maloney, he wore number 12 as well. And last but certainly not least, Jerome Aginla of the Calgary Flames, Boston Bruins, Pittsburgh Penguins, and current member of the Colorado Avalanche. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, <laughs> hey. we are going to be talking about, of course, the World Series hey, hold on. underway. Did you and just also, okay. our year in review our top stories of 2015? <laughs> but first off, we shall talk about uh, opening day of the World Juniors. Uh, Brett, do you want to start off with that, or do you want me to keep rambling? Um, well, first off, I, I was, <laughs> I, was <laughs> I don't know. Did you say Calgary uh, Ginla was on the Calgary Flames, or did you just mention that the famous? Did you just mention the other teams? No, no, I, I said again I was on the Flames. He was also on the oh. Dallas Stars. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Off with Dallas and I thought. For New and Day. I thought. I thought you missed. I, I thought you missed the most famous team he was on. So no, I was like, no, but I did miss a team. It was the team he started off with. Right. The Dallas Stars. But he didn't but play he a game for that. Of course, Calgary Flames. I believe yeah. I mentioned that. Um. Yeah. He got traded for uh, Joe Newendike. Joe Newendike. Yep. Um. But uh, yeah, it turned out pretty well for both. I, and also, before we go on the world, I, I it just made me think about Aginla, about how this is his 18th year in the league, and he's, you know, he's still putting up points on um, yeah. 18 points. Yeah. So he's he belongs along Yager. I know not as many points as Yager, but still, like he, you know, he's. Wonder, yeah. Still a threat. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. All right, so yeah, let's. I'll. I guess I. I can. Uh, I'll take the lead here on the World Juniors. Although you. You know more about it because you watched more games. I only got to watch the U.S. Canada game. Um, it was thrilling for me. Um, just because usually Canada, you know, is dominant in these things. Canada was dominant throughout the entire game, but somehow USA uh, eked it out. Um, I know it's like the first game and it doesn't really matter because um, both teams are probably going to be in the final rounds, but um, I, I thought it was a it was a fun game to watch at least. Um, it, it was really down the wire from the opening face-off yeah. to just about the halfway mark of the third. Anyone could have won it. Yeah, exactly, and I was thinking as soon as uh, Dylan, Dylan Strome scored, 
to make it 2-1, I thought, like, oh, no, it's over. And then all of a sudden, the USA right, start, two, just started. Yeah. Oh, did he make it 2-2? Two, two? Yeah, US was up 2-1 oh, right, right. at that point. But there was one point where Canada was up by one goal. Yeah, but and when then, they scored the opener, yeah. Oh, yeah, when they, when, they, when they scored the opener, I was just like, oh, okay, here we go again. Because in the past, in any international competition, I'm like, oh, USA and Canada. Like, I know Austin Matthews is good. I know we have Matthew Kachuk, and Canada doesn't have their top prospect. But I was just like, oh, no, you know, like, this, here we go again kind of thing. And then, um, so then I was, I was surprised by how good America looked, so... Um, from my perspective, I know you probably, um, you're taking the side that Canada, it's like, it's, uh, like a learning block kind of thing for Canada. Well, yeah, uh, like, nobody really grabbed the spotlight and ran with it. Like, both teams had their chances, both goalies held their own. I didn't really like the fancy, fancy schmancy stuff. Like, there was too much passing. Not enough clean, crisp passes, not enough tape, not enough traffic in front of the net. Like, you saw the opening goal of the game. You saw the goal the U.S. scored to tie the game yeah. and won the second. And how are they scored? Not by a highlight reel pass, not by a highlight reel shot. They happened because you went to the net, you were at the right place at the right time, and you cleaned up the mess. Yeah. Canada makes it one nothing because Matt Barzell had a wide-open net, and <laughs> Delkovich was sprawled out of position after making the initial stop off a two-on-one. And the U.S. even the score off a point shot that takes a fluky bounce off the backboards and sends past a Colin White going to the net, right place, right time, beats the Canadian defender to the puck, gets a quick shot off, back to square one. U.S. take a 2-1 to one lead. Again, fluky point shot, finds its way to, through traffic, beats the goalie clean. And they restore their one-goal lead shortly after Canada even the score by putting the puck on net. It's a Canadian defender... Hits the Canadian defender in front of the net, the puck goes in. Right. A minute later, they're up 4-2. Why? Austin Matthews, arguably the best undrafted player on their team, goes to the net. Sees the puck trickle through the pads of Mason McDonald. Yeah, that was a good move. the rebound into the net. Um, so they, they, they got it done the ugly way. And, <laughs> and you need, in order to win games, you don't do it by skill. You do it by going to the net. You do it by getting the simple things done. If you win the simple... If you win the simple categories, you win the puck battles, and and you clean up uh, any rebounds in front of that, that's how you win hockey games. And the U.S. buckled down, and they got it done when they needed to. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, it did seem like Canada was trying to be more fancy, and USA was being more like, just like, you know, they kept to their grind. They didn't really lose their composure ever, even especially when um, Alex DeBrincat got us like got that game misconduct. Yeah, um, that, early that in wasn't the game. that wasn't smart at all. Like, <laughs> it, it, like Alex DeBrincat, the guy has thirty three goals in thirty games in the OHL with the Erie Otters. Yeah, you're not. Your job isn't to take a dumb penalty like that, get a five-minute major in a game misconduct, and probably going to get reviewed by the IHF discipline uh, disciplinary team, too. You're supposed to keep your emotions in check. You're better served on the ice than on the sidelines after taking a stupid penalty. Yeah. And, and he knows better, and if he's really learned his lesson, you won't see that kind of uh, overreaction from him again. Like, Konechny gives him a bump after the whistle. you got to let that go. you got to resist the urge... Um, to get back at him. And Especially... A cheap shot to the groin. 
Especially, yeah, yeah, especially, doesn't he, like, lead the OHL in points right now, right? I don't think he leads the OHL in points, but he, he's 33 goals in 30 games, so oh, he's okay. definitely in the goal-scoring department, he's right yeah. up there. Uh, yeah, I was I was thinking, like, especially for him, because this is, like, his coming-out party, so to speak, yeah. where, he's, like... He, he's not been drafted by a team, I don't think, either. Well, yeah, well, that, that's what I was saying, I think his dra- draft stock has gone up, and now, like... Yeah. And now it could really get up if he plays well in the World Juniors, but I guess exactly. he's not. He's, he's, he's not off to a good start. Without McDavid. Yeah, um, yeah, he's on the year Yotters, right? Um, yeah. So he's not off to a good start, but uh, I mean, I'll see. I look forward to that. Um, yeah, and Austin Matthews looked good on the from a Bruin. I know I'm biased, whatever. I was paying more attention to Brandon Carlo, who's the Bruins prospect. Um, he looked pretty good. He was a good shutdown guy for the U.S. team. Um, he, uh, I mean, yeah, I think it's like, it's something to look forward to for, for the future. Um, especially now when we don't really have that many good future defensemen. So we got the guy in a, in the second round when many projected him in like a late first rounder kind of guy. So, um, that was kind of a steal if he turns out okay. Um, and then also, um, also from a Bruins perspective, I did. It kind of like hurt me when I when I saw the Matthew Berzal goal because I realized like, oh, we could have gotten that guy, but um, whatever. And like, I don't think Seneshin and uh, DeBrusque didn't aren't in the World Juniors, so. But um, whatever. It's, it's 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 like it's two years. It's I can't say anything until two years from now. So when they're all in the NHL, but uh, uh, yeah. So uh, this uh kind of got me to thinking about a poll of um. So I posted this uh, poll on Twitter on who who do you think will win the World Junior uh this year? I gave an option of USA, Canada. I added Finland. Uh, I didn't really know who the other favorite was. I guess I could have added, like, Sweden. But I think most people would say it's, like, USA, Canada, Finland, Sweden, or Russia. But they only give you four options. So, um, uh, so, I, uh, so we got 36 people, which is awesome. Um, polls are about to close. But uh, right now, Canada is leading with 53%, which is kind of su- surprising. USA, USA is leading, um, is in second with 44%. No one believes in Finland. Um, and then other, 3% said other. I said to reply with who, but I, I would imagine maybe it's either Sweden or Russia is the, what that guy is thinking. Um, so yeah, so, uh, so you watch the two favorites basically, um, although that's very biased. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's formal, but. Um, we, uh, I thought that was a good idea. Um, anyways, um, all right, let's talk about, uh, the, uh, Sweden and Swiss game, speaking of Sweden. Now, before we quickly get to that, I just wanted to to mention a couple of things. Sure. Um, if the U.S. end up winning the World Juniors, Ron Wilson and Chris Chelius are going to be a big reason why, like, they took a couple of undisciplined penalties, uh, both of which, you know, really put them in a tough spot throughout the game. The first one put them on the penalty kill for five minutes, the, the Brinkett thing. And then 
the U.S. captain uh, takes a slashing penalty half a second after Canada's uh, the play's blown dead after a Canadian offside, and Canada gets a fresh batch of skaters and a five-on-four to work with, and Dylan Strom ties the game at two there. But Ron Wilson and Chris Chalians, that's a perfect blend of veteran leadership guys who have been there, who have done that, who have been there in, in, at times where moments get heated, and who know how to handle pressure, who know how to do well, know how to win. And this is, I think, something that's really going to serve this team well, because you're going to have players that play with a chip on their shoulder, um, who are going to wear their heart on their sleeve, and you need good veteran leadership to kind of tone that down uh, when moments are getting heated, especially when you got that rivalry with Canada and Russia and even Sweden. And when, when you're getting pushed around, you need that veteran presence. And I think that's something that the U.S. has got in Ron Wilson and Chris Chelios. And they are going to serve um, – I think they're really going to serve this team well, and if they do well, I think they should be very—they should be commended a lot for how well this team does. If they do indeed do well, now, did you see the interference call on Canada's Joe Quenville against uh, John Quenville against uh, the U.S. goalkeeper Alex It happened in the third period. Uh, no. Did, did you end up seeing that play? I didn't actually. No. Okay. Well, the rest said that. Quenville made contact with the U.S. goalkeeper, which led to the Americans' second goal in their first lead of the hockey game. If you see the play, and this is through my eyes, Nadelkovich kind of sells it. He wasn't in his goal crease. And for those of you who don't know, if your skate even is in the goal crease, they blow the play dead. If the ref sees it, the play's blown dead. No ifs, ands, or buts. And if a goal goes in, your foot is in the crease, they probably don't count. But Nadelkovich wasn't in his goal crease. The shot was well out of the net. It didn't look like he was trying to avoid the incoming Canadian. And if the Canadian was in his crease, you have every reason to call that a penalty. But the goalie was a step or two out of the crease. And while he, I understand you have to call a goalie interference on that because he, just for the sake of avoiding retribution from the other team, right. I was a bit surprised that Nadalkovich wasn't handed two minutes for embellishment. You can <laughs> see the ref talking to him after the play and giving him what I can only assume was a stern warning. Don't do that again, kid. That play doesn't happen. That game could have changed completely. The U.S. go on the power play. They score. Canada's down by one, two to one. Did it cost Canada the game? No, because they ended up evening the scoring advantage of their own. But when you look at the final score, that goal was huge. Canada's only down 3-2. They pull their goalie for an extra skater. Maybe gets sustained pressure in the U.S. zone for a 60-second stretch. That could have easily forced overtime if Canada scores there. Yeah, that's a good point. It was it was that close of a game where like any tiny mistake could have gone either way um, yeah. for each team. But uh, yeah, it was a but, fun. But, let, but check the replay and let me know what your thoughts on it. I, I think I'll have to I look at it. Yeah, it a little bit too much. I'm surprised he didn't get anything for that. I call Quenville two for interference, <laughs> but I I think they should have given Nadelkovich something on that play, but. Being a Canadian, that probably doesn't look good on my street cred, so it's okay. you'll, you'll probably have to balance that out with your opinion, but I'll, I'll leave that up to your discretion. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, I'll probably, I don't know, I mean, I do believe you, um, I'll have to look at it, uh, but uh, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like what uh, Carey Price does or what uh, Henrik Lundqvist does yeah. uh, sometimes, like, you know, they sometimes sell calls like that, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. 
Um, I guess before we, um, we'll, we'll get to your other, uh, uh, notes from the World Juniors. I, that was the only game I watched, but, um, we should talk about, uh, William Nylander. He, uh, he got a concussion. I don't know how long he's going to be out for, but, uh, the guy who gave him the concussion, it looked like a really bad hit, um, is out, uh, got suspended, uh, for three games, um, into the World Juniors, which is quite a lot. I know it's Switzerland, so it doesn't really matter. I don't even know the guy's name, but um, we should mention that. Um, I don't know. Any notes that you have on the World Junior on that incident or on anything else? Yeah, I, I saw I saw the particular play, and one of my Facebook friends said it looked shoulder to shoulder to, me, uh, to him, and that Neilander probably should have kept his head up. But, you know, when, when you score an opening goal um, and, and get your team some momentum and, and you'll lose arguably your best player, that's, that's a tough loss for Sweden. Nevertheless, they did what we expected them to do. They flat-out dominated. They exposed their other team's weaknesses, and they flat-out owned it. In previous years, they have had a ton of skill, both offensively and defensively. That hasn't changed this year. But there are two big question marks. One of them is the health of Maple Leafs prospect William Nylander. Um, a potential candidate for, in my opinion, the top offensive player in this tournament. Um, shaken up, had to leave the game, and he didn't return. If, if that concussion is severe enough, that could be the end of his tournament right there. He's a game-changing offensive stud who takes the pressure off of everyone else. He's what I like to call the catalyst of the Swedes. And it'll be interesting to see how this team performs if he does indeed miss some time. At the end of the day, though, they're not going to win or lose the gold medal based on the health of William Nylander. Their goaltending and their defensive style of play, however, could very well seal their fate. When you score six goals and get five of them in the third period in a pre-tournament game against Canada, and you give up seven and lose by a goal, what does that say? about your defense. It's shaky. I lost a good chunk of that game. What I saw was too much skill on the Swedes' front. They always tried to make the tricky pass. They took some big risks in their own zone. They always relied on speed and skill to bail them out. It cost them big time in the second period, and I would argue ultimately cost them a win. When you're facing teams like Denmark, Belarus, the Slovaks, the Czechs, you can maybe get away with that kind of stuff. When you try stuff like that against powers like Canada, Russia, the U.S., even Finland... Expect to get burned, and they will face at least one of those teams, maybe even two of those teams in the knockout round, and in that stage of the tourney, anything goes, anything can happen, and anyone can beat anybody. So the last thing the Swedes should do right now is get too comfy, because look look at what Canada has, has done in the first game of their round robin in, in the past. Um, Let's see, 2001, they blanked the Belarusians 9-0. Wow, 2001, you're starting way, way yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and this, because they're getting a, a lot of inferior opponents. In 2002, they shelled France 15 to nothing. They beat Sweden 8-2 to in 2003. Um, they beat Slovakia 7-3 to in 2005 when they had that uh, big showing uh, with Crosby and Bergeron and all those guys. Um see, 8-1 to thrashing in the Czechs in 2009, the year they won gold. They beat up Latvia 16 to nothing in 2010. Um, 2012, they slapped the Finns silly 8-1. to They beat the Germans in 2013, 9-3. The year after that, they beat them 8-7-2. Uh, 
and last year they beat Slovakia rather easily, eight to nothing. It's only one game. Lots can happen in a round robin, and that's what I mean by saying the Swedes shouldn't get too comfy because the Canadians always have had a tendency of starting off the tournament well, and then when it comes to the uh, knockout rounds. There seems to be that team that really gives them a run for their money, and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. They get on their heels, and they lose. So that's what I mean by the Swedes shouldn't get too comfy. I would I would rather them learn their lesson early in the round robin when you still have a chance to than lose, in the, uh, uh, than lose handily in a knockout round game. Because if you lose in the round robin, at least you got time to react and you've got time to adapt. You lose in the knockout stage, you're done so. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, and also you have to think about how young these players are, so they yeah, don't know, exactly. they don't have a lot of experience with these kind of tournaments things. So um, it should be interesting to see how Sweden does, how Sweden uh, gets back to it, or how Canada gets back from their loss. So yeah. um, though, though they although, stayed out of the box with them going back to Canada, they stayed out of the box against the U.S. and. Yep. Considering how undisciplined they were against Sweden, their final tune-up game, anything compared to that performance right. is considered an improvement. But they kept their emotions in check for the most part. They didn't get lazy on the back check. They always kept their feet moving uh, for the most part, anyway. And and they and they didn't and they didn't get caught all that often. So uh, their penalty kill was, I would argue, a, a a big improvement against the U.S. Even though they lost. Right. Um, is there any other? Uh notes that you have on like who, who? I don't know if you saw it today did you see what uh, that Belarusian goalie did against uh, the Slovaks the Slovaks were up 3-2 to two. they pulled their um, the Belarusians pulled their goalie for an extra attacker the Slovaks went the other way and the Belarusian goalie jumps off the bench oh, wow. to try and get in the Slovaks way <laughs> uh, totally biffed on it the, the guy just went around him and I, I think they scored in the play, and if they didn't, they awarded uh, the Slovaks a goal to go up 4-2. to two. On top of that, the goalie injured himself on the play. Wow. So, lesson number one, you're not Dominic Hasek. Don't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, otherwise, you're going to pay the price. And on that particular play, the Belarusian goalie definitely paid for it. But uh, other than that, and, and Denmark, too. Denmark upset the Swiss 2-1. to one. So well, it, it'll be interesting to see. I have Denmark on, on my radar. It's one of those teams that, that could impress. And they did last year, and I'm, I'm hoping they, they can get to the knockout round for a second straight year because I, I love the skill of, of the Danish. And, and, uh, Danish I, think, uh, Canada's, I think Canada's actually their next opponent. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare against uh, the Canucks, uh, which right. would be um, – Monday afternoon at twelve thirty, I believe, is when they play. Okay. Uh, yeah, so we should look forward to that. Uh, that should conclude our um, our Winter Classic talk for now. Well, I mean, we'll talk more about it when it gets closer to the actual championship. Uh, yeah. So that's exciting. First, uh, some big news story that happened today on Sunday. We're recording on Sunday. Um, is that uh, another uh, Kane is in some sex scandal, again, in Buffalo, but not the one that you think about. It's the Evander uh, Kane. Um, who plays on the Buffalo Sabres. On, who plays on the Buffalo Sabres. 
Um, apparently, it's the, even the same guy who first uh, reported the Patrick Kane one. Is the, it's the same guy? Evander Kane's got the same lawyer, apparently, too. That <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, right. So, as you know, these things take time. We don't know much about it, so it's silly to um, even. Um, I don't know, uh, judge things uh, or before we, yeah. or speculate before we know anything. So, but we, I we figured we should mention it cause it's going to be a big story too. So, um, there's that. Um, and then, um, since there wasn't too much hockey this year or this week, I should say due to Christmas and this week kind of, by the way, it's a mini rant here. It's kind of crazy that, um, the day before Christmas Eve, um, there was no hockey games. Like, I can understand no no games on Christmas Eve, no games on Christmas Day, but you could at least have some games on Wednesday. So, but, anyways, so we figured um, we're going to do the five biggest storylines of t- 2015. Um, these, are, these are just lists that we think of, the storylines that were most interesting, um, most fun to talk about. Um, and, uh, so we're going to start, we're kind of cheating, I guess, cause this is like two teams, two storylines, but, uh, the, our number five storyline we're going to start off with is the Sens and the Flames playoff run last year, our last season. Um, if we start with the Senators, everyone, um, even their fans, uh, didn't thought their uh, thought the season was over as soon as Craig Anderson got injured, and I think it was around January or February. Um, and then in comes this Andrew Hammond, who has this like really bad record and uh, a goal against average, um, or in the AHL, um, which is hard to do. Um, and then. Um, all of a sudden, he just starts winning games, and he um, and he call they call him the Hamburglar, um, yeah. all that stuff. And then, um, with the help of Mark Stone and Mike Hoffman, some rookies, um, and a bunch of other things, the uh, Senators were able to outrun my Boston Bruins, or the I should say, I should not be biased here, uh, the Boston Bruins, um, and. Uh, um, and then, uh, yeah, so they they made the pl- they ended up making the playoffs due to their hot second half. Um, and then, uh, as well as the Calgary Flames, that really actually started at the beginning of the season. Everyone thought that the Calgary Flames were going to be tanking for McDavid and Eichel, um, but instead they just kept on winning. They they didn't they didn't believe they didn't know that they were supposed to lose these games, kind of thing. Um, you know, they had great, uh, they had great coaching, um, uh, they had good defense with Mark Giordano, TJ Brody, um, they even, um, and then they even lost Giordano late in the year, everyone called it off, I think it was in around March when they lost Giordano, and everyone was just like, okay, there's no way that this is gonna happen, there's no way the Flames are gonna make it, yeah, because they kept on expecting, everyone kept on expecting the Flames to fail last season, but they never did. Um, with the help of Johnny Goudreau, Sean Monaghan, um, and uh, they actually even they made and the playoffs. Like too. And yeah, Kerry Ramo and Jonas Hiller were good too. 
Um, TJ Brody was kind of underrated because um, he took ahead of them when they uh, when Mark Giordano was down. Um, Chris Russell really stepped up. Chris too. Russell stepped up to uh, Dennis Weidman. Yeah, as well. He really stepped up last year. Um, no one, you look at his offensive numbers. No one thought he was going to produce that much. Right. So um, so we uh, so those two are very similar in the sense that no one believed in them, and then. They ended up making playoff runs, and the Flames even uh, won a playoff series. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, that's 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 number five. Um, and, and you also have the Senators, like they were soul searching. Like they, they, two years ago, prior to that, they lost their longtime captain Daniel Alfredson to free right. agency. Yeah, that's added to Spetsa, it. Who was only a captain for a year, then they trade him. They named Carlson their captain, so they were soul-searching a little bit. They were dealing with a lot of change. They were dealing with a basketball of pending UFAs, and most people thought would choose to head elsewhere. Mark Mathot was one of them. And then they get a newish face behind the bench. They bought into what he was selling. They kept their core, and they rode the heck out of an NHL goalie that no one even heard of. And right. all they did was go on an unprecedented, miraculous run of the playoffs that may never be seen again for decades. And they weren't the best teams on paper. Not a soul predicted them to do this good so soon, except maybe the coaching staff and the players on the team. But I would think no other teams generated more hype than the Sens and the Flames did last year. That's true, yeah. it's um, Especially when you look at like the advanced stats for uh, the Flames, Like everyone thought, like, oh, there's no... Because they have bad possession numbers, and everyone thought, yeah. like... Oh, there's no way they're gonna do well. They were like the avalanche of the year before, and the, yeah. um, you know, no one thought that they would um, continue to do well, and they continue to just prove people wrong. Um, and yeah, I think it's impressive for both cases where they, you know, they, you like, you think that they're, you know, oh, oh, these are gonna be easy opponents. We'll beat them easily, and then it just turns out it's not the case, and. The Flames started off slow this this season, and now they're they're back to winning. Um, and <laughs> same for the Senators um, as well, where they, I mean, yeah, all the, both, both teams were hardworking. They were resilient, and they were clutch in the third period. Yeah, and I think that's what really saved. Right, their that's season, the other thing. They didn't quit. Yeah, and they, um, I think the Flames have the most overtime wins right now. Last check, they were 8-1. Yeah. Um, so, it's... Um, yeah, exactly. It speaks to um, how resilient they are, um, that they, they, they're they never out of it. Um, um, all right. So, I think... <laughs> I think we talked about that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I always, I always feel like I might be leaving something off. So, whenever... Or, like, some big thing that I might be leaving off. So, if I do just, you know... Feel free to bite in. Uh, so number four, it, and, and, and feel free to email us with stuff that we overlooked. Uh, Lasermag at gmail dot com. Yeah, and as well as with any other hockey related questions, we'll answer those too on our yeah. next shows. So exactly, or or tweet at us at Lace Up. Or tweet at us, yeah, Lace Up Podcast. On um, yeah, exactly. Um, we also have a Facebook page too, and our Facebook page, yes. Um, so, uh, that leads us to number four, uh, uh, the Penguins. Um, so they, um, they, uh, 
you know, with uh, Crosby and Malkin and Chris Letang and Marc-Andre Fleury, you would think that they'd, you know, the, this team would be like the top team um, for years to come. But that hasn't been the case lately. Um, they, uh, so like the start of last season, if we start from last season, cause that was 2015, um, they, uh, they just made the playoffs. Um, I believe they beat the Bruins by one point, um, or they were out, uh, yeah. And then, um, and then they got, I, think, I don't know if, I think they won one game where Mark andre Fleury finally played to, up to his potential in playoffs. Yeah. They, um, they lost to, 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 to the Rangers. He wasn't the reason they lost. Right, right, right. Like, I think three or four of the games against the Rangers were decided by a goal. And they lost, yeah. like, three of them. Right. So it's it, it's not like the Penguins were manhandled or outplayed by the Rangers. It was a very tight series. They just, the Rangers found a way to win those tight games. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um but and, still, that people are going to look at how many games you won and, they yeah. didn't win enough to advance. So. Right. And then, yeah, and the coach, uh, Mike Johnston, wasn't that bad. It was just, as we talked about last week, um, you know, it just may not have been the right coach for them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he did make them, he did get them to the playoffs. Um, just, you know, you would expect with a team that talented with Crosby and Malkin, you'd expect them to do better than just make the playoffs. Um, so then, and then you add Kessel in the offseason, and right. you expect 30 to 40 goals out of him and Crosby exactly. and Malkin to do their thing, and right. expect them to be in a playoff position right now. And yeah. that isn't the case, and that led to their second coach uh, casualty in 18 months. Right, exactly. I was just getting to that. And yeah. then, um, yeah, so they got Kessel in the offseason, which they really, sh- I mean, yeah, I guess Crosby does need more depth on the winger side, but I think their biggest need was defense. Yeah. Um, I think I think you even mentioned that in our preview. We um, mentioned it in a lot of previous editions yes. that the best defense is a good offense. Right. And they don't have enough of it, and the reason why they're losing more games is because they're relying on their offense too much to win hockey games. And when they are getting good defense, their offense isn't showing up. But when you get good defense and you play good defense, the chances come to you. And more often than not, you will get to win those one-goal games. But when you're not playing a defensive-minded style of hockey, and then you're, then you're going to get uh, more one-goal losses than you are going to get one-goal wins. Right. And this team, it's not that they don't... They have offensive defense. They need defensive defense. And they don't <laughs> have enough of that experienced defensive defense. Um, and Rob Scuderi, who they just traded for Trevor Daly, was, um, regardless of whether or not you think he was past his prime, he was probably the best guy they had uh, as yeah. far as defensive defense would go. Yeah, well, that I mean, that, and that's sad, too, considering he, he is past his prime. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, well, they did, I think they, they won last yesterday, um, so... Yeah, they beat Minnesota three to one, which was which was nice to see. Um, and they're losing to Winnipeg right now, but um, mm-hmm. there's still time. It's in the second period. Uh, but um, yeah, it's uh, I was just gonna mention that in the off season, they you know they addressed the depth the forward depth um issue, 
by getting guys like Kessel and Nick Benino. Um, but, uh, you know, when they really should have addressed the defensive side of the things, um, which is easier said than done as, as a Bruins fan, when I, I can't really think of a good shutdown guy right now for a defenseman, but they, um, but, uh, they're, they're like, um, the, their whole storyline is worth this, um, worth the number four for us. Because well, yeah, the only reason why they made this list, in my opinion, is because this team, on paper, looks too good to be this average. Yeah. And that's solely the only reason why they made this list. They're too good to be this mediocre. Yeah, that's true. When you have when you have two of the best players in the world, not just yeah. not just like I mean in like the Eastern Conference, like the and world. a decent goalie in Flurry too. And a decent goalie. You expect to do better yeah. than just a few games above exactly. And and especially when you add a guy like Kessel, yeah. you expect you know, it's even more so where and you, like, and you already have guys like Kunitz and David Perron as well. Yeah. And Latang. Who were pretty dynamic a couple of years ago as well. And Chris Latang as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and also we should mention that they've had injury bugs, but that shouldn't be an excuse, really. Yeah, every every team goes through them. If you ask the Flames, but they've had months, they've yeah. had a lot of injuries. It's true, though. They had like Alimanda has been injured for a lot of the time, and yeah, uh, Fleury, Latang, Crosby has been dinged up too. So, um, but yeah, so we we decided to include them. Uh, number three. Uh, is the whole McDavid and Eichel, uh, I guess the McEichel uh, situation. Um, all of last year, um, there was always talk about who is going to tank. Um, like, it seemed like uh, like Buffalo especially was just, like, training all their good guys in order for prospects and stuff, which you can make a, you can make a case that they were just rebuilding, um, which is fine, too. Um, but you knew that they were just trying to get a guy, you know, they were trying to get one of those two players. Um, that was the biggest talk, because these two are generational talent, um, and it hasn't been seen since, like, John Tavares. Um, although, I guess you can make a case that, like, like, um, pretty much every overall first has been a generational talent. Um, Stamkos, Tavares, Patrick Kane, um... Ovechkin, Crosby, Rick Nash, maybe, but, um, anyways, uh, so then what ended up happening is that the Edmonton Oilers of all teams ended up winning the lottery, um, and then... Some people probably claimed it was fixed because they're like, well, oh, no, if it's, them again. actually, if it was, like, if it was fixed, the, the team that's least likely to get... <laughs> Ted McDavid would be Edmonton. Like if it would, yeah. like if it was actually fixed, I'd say Arizona would be the most likely to get it, get mm-hmm. McDavid. Just you know to keep the team in Arizona, you would need that kind of guy. But um, they got Dylan Strom though. That's a nice one. Yeah, yeah. You can't. Um, but uh, yeah. So Buffalo Sabers lost out on the McDavid sweepstakes, but uh, you know Eichel is not a bad compensation. Especially how he did against us last last night. Yeah. Um, four point, no big deal. Yeah, four points, no big deal. McDavid ended up getting injured in uh, November, 
Um, was it November? No, it might have been in October. Um, no, no, it was November. But yeah, he was playing. Yeah, he was, he was he was playing pretty well uh, up until then um, with uh, Yakupov and Pouliot. Um, he, he, he came in. Lefoldi did pretty well too. Yeah, he's doing um, pretty well too. Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall's playing well too. Yeah, so. Hall's really picked it up. He's he's a top five scorer in the league right now. I know it's crazy, um, and so and McDavid, I think he's coming back soon. He's he's on the ice at least. I think he's practicing right now. I, I yeah. heard according to ESPN, he's not expected back until after the All Star break. Oh okay, but I know. So, but, yeah, the fact that I know that he has good. started skating yeah, though. In their time with him as they should. Yeah, I agree with that. But I, but, I think he has started skating though, at least. Yeah. Um, when, when you have a better start in your final OHL season through 15 games than Sidney Crosby did during his final year with Ramuski in 04-05, that's saying something. Yeah. And like you said, before he got hurt, he, he hadn't disappointed during his short time with the Oilers. Uh, held off the score sheet through the first couple of games, but really picked it up. Um, Eichel, like you were saying, erupted for 71 points in his first and only season with Boston University, and he's not projected to register those kind of points in his first season with the Sabres, but he's slowly making his presence known, as you mentioned, with two goals and two assists against the Bruins on Boxing Day. He's given him 11 goals and 20 points in 35 games, and, and he's still got a heck of a shot, so the hype around him is pretty good. Um, you also look at, even though he's not a rookie, John Klingberg of the Dallas Stars is something uh, else to behold as well. Yep. No, Remember, yeah, this... Did, did you know that he was selected in the fifth round in the 2010 draft? I didn't actually, know. Well, I mean, I'm not I surprised, though. I people did either. Yeah, like, I'm not surprised, though. No one except the Dallas Stars probably knew what this guy could do. He slipped yeah. by everybody at least three, four, five times. Right. And he may not be the newest kid on the block because he scored 40 points in 65 games last year. So he's a sophomore this year, but he's proved so far in his second season that the numbers in his rookie year were no fluke. Sure. 27 assists, third most in the league, 32 points in 36 games, uh, plus minus a plus 16, fifth best in the NHL. And his ability to shoot the puck and his ability to make things happen on the ice are second to none. And when you've only recorded one point over your last five games and you're yeah. still close to a point a game player, that's you know that you've got a bright future. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point, too. Although it's a little unrelated from what we were talking about, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, and there's a lot of rookies that are also making it big if we're if we're going to connect it to everything. You know, you have Shane Ghostisbear, you have uh, yeah. Dylan Larkin, although he's out right now, Max Domi, Anthony DeClaire. Yeah. Um, I think Aaron, who was never drafted in the NHL, and he's registered 31 points in 36 games in his rookie year. Obviously, the Hawks are missing Patrick Sharp. Oh, Painter. Right yeah. doing a nice job filling his shoes. Yeah, um, I forgot about Painter. And, and he's, only, he's only 24. This yeah. is his first year. I, I would argue that this year's rookie class, in my opinion, is the deepest one we've seen since the 05-06 rookie class, where we saw guys like Ovechkin, Henrik Lundqvist, and Sidney Crosby uh, all making their NHL debuts. Yeah, and, uh, that's a good point. Uh, this this is uh, one of the deepest rookie classes I've seen in a while, for sure. 
Yeah, that's a good point. We have there's a lot of good rookies out right now. Uh, the Calder Trophy should be uh, one more intense than even last year with Goudreau and Stern. Yeah. Um, even even with McDavid missing at that time, you know, exactly. he's, he's still going to come back and probably going to finish with 50 points. So yeah, um, it should be interesting. Um, all right, yeah. So then our number two um, is uh, Carey Price. Um, is miraculous year. Uh, he has, um, so last year, he pretty much took the Canadians, put the Canadians on their back to win the Atlantic Division. Um, it was kind of unseen. He had a, I'm looking at his, his stats right now, a uh, 9.33 save percentage and a 1.96 goals against average. Um, what's more impressive about this is that he literally had no one except for like Pacioretty and uh, PK Subban on the team to help him. Um, so, um, and now he's uh, injured for a long time, and and it's no real surprise that the Habs aren't doing so well um, without him. But if you um, look at, at the season this season before injury will have slowed him down. 10, 2 and 0 in 12 appearances. GAA of 2.06, which is um, which is slightly higher than last year. His save percentage is still the uh, same. This year is 9.34, which is slightly better than last year's. Numbers. Yeah, but he's only played 12 games, so who knows if? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. He's he's definitely but, but the, the best. But the impact best that he's shown this year is just yeah. as relevant as the impact he had last year. Yeah, and there's a there's a lot of good goaltenders out right now. Well, uh, you know, Lundqvist, Rass, Bishop, um, just to name a few, Rene, Rene, but Carey Price has kind of just taken them out of what out of the running for Vezina uh, these past two years, just just by how good he's been. So um, it is something that we uh, thought was a something that we should mention. And then, so then he got the Hart Trophy. Um, he got the Vezina, of course, the Ted Lindsay Award. Um, he collected. Um, so, and also, as you mentioned to me on through Facebook, he uh, TSN and Canadians voted him as the Canada Male Athlete of the Year um, with, he uh, collected 53% of the votes cast by sports yeah. editors and broadcasters across the country. When I think about it, though, like, I don't even know who else would be, um, 53% seems kind of low, though, but, um, I'm just looking here at this article that Sprinter Andre de Grasse got Andre second, DeGrasse, yeah. 20, I don't know, I don't know yeah, who I that guy is. 28%? 28%, yeah, they say that here. Um... And he, um, yeah, so he won the Hart Trophy. Um, it earned, yeah, so he earned four NHL trophies. The Hart Trophy, the Lindsay Trophy, as I just mentioned, which is the best players is voted by his fellow players. The Vezina is the top goaltender. And then he also shared the Jennings to- Trophy, which is fewest goals allowed. Yeah. Um, Only a handful of goaltenders to win the Vezina and the Hart in the same year. Yep. Uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion and a long-time Buffalo Sabre, Dominic Hasek being the most notable name on that list. 
Right. Uh, first goalie in NHL history to win the Lou Marsh Award awarded annually to Canada's top athlete. Keep in mind, though, that guys like Patrick Juan, Martin Brodeur, who've posted longer resumes, broken numerous records, and won Stanley Cups, which Price hasn't done, never in their careers won the Lou Marsh Award. And, yeah, you can say because Wayne Gretzky was in the league at that time and he won it like five or six times throughout his career. And still, don't take away what Price did. Like, the fact that Patrick Waugh and Martin Brodeur, one and two in NHL all-time wins respectively, never won a Lou Marsh Award, and Price is the first goalie in NHL history to win it, that's saying something. Yeah, it's true. Um, and in terms of his legacy, like, if he keeps this up uh, after he recovers, assuming everything's okay, he's, yeah. he's um, you know, he's going to, uh, um, you know, he could he could be considered the greatest goaltender, um, you know, if he continues uh, this run. But it is, it has been spectacular. And this is coming from a Bruins fan and a Senators fan, so you know that yeah. we actually mean it. Um which brings us to our uh, honorable mentions for this list. Uh, these are storylines that, you know, were interesting to us, but they just didn't quite make the cut yet. Um, so Toron- the whole thing about Toronto getting Lou Lamarillo and Mike Babcock to start the rebuild, you don't want any more. Like, those are the two guys. Those are the best two guys you can have to start a rebuild. They also traded Phil Kessel, as we mentioned earlier before. Um, John Scott uh, getting the All-Star game, although now that he's in the AHL, we don't know if he's going to be in or not. But that, that that whole spectacle is something to be mentioned for. Uh, the Bruins trading Lucic and Dougie um, on draft day and then getting the three draft picks in a row. Um that was good or bad, kind of. Um, uh, it's it's still years away to see um, what that effect is, but um, that gets a mention. Ovechkin in the All Star Draft was just really funny. He was yeah. He was that just was probably that was probably the most enjoyable moment of the last twelve months. Yeah, was Ovechkin on draft day just. Just uh, yeah. doing whatever he could to weasel his way, getting himself a, a brand new car. Yeah, and um, which, 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 which was you know all for charity and, yeah. and whatnot, but still which very is, funny. Yeah, and then also the skills competition with the Voracek uh, bringing in Goudreau like he was a little kid, which was funny. Yeah. Um, and um, oh, and then I also just added uh, Dallas is rain so far. Um, they're on top of the West in the Central Division with the two dynamic duo of Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. And as you mentioned, John Klingberg, which has been as good as of an offensive defenseman as Eric Carlson has been right now. I think you um, also have to include Patrick Kane, the allegations yeah. he faced in the offseason. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. The American point streak record, that's, that's uh, probably the best of the rest right there, too. Yeah, Patrick Kane, I forgot about that for some reason. Um and then, because we talked a lot about it in the previous podcast, and we were yeah, just trying to bring it up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, um, all right, so then, so if we're talking about, Pat, speaking of Patrick Kane, uh, that right, leads us to yeah, story, which is, is drum, roll. Uh, drum roll. You can probably guess it 
from now, but it's the Blackhawks. They won their three cups in the last five years. Six. Oh, did I say five? I meant six, yeah. yeah. Five. Five. Um. Yeah, yeah. So the wait, no, because they won in 2010. They 2010, won in 2011, Um, 
And also they said that Patrick Kane was supposed to be ready for the conference championships, but instead he was ready for the first round. But, um, so, um, it's a little fishy, but, you know, whatever. They probably would have won anyways. Um, and they also had a chemo team in and on defense. Not a big instrumental piece. Yeah, but forgot about that guy. still another veteran that, you know, good for the other guys to lean on. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, kudos to them, especially they're the closest thing to the dynasty, except for the Kings, but they've only won two cups um, uh, to the Blackhawks three. But, um, yeah, the uh, it's kudos to the Blackhawks for, um, you know, winning three cups, in, in, and, and especially in the salary cap era. It's because they're good at crunching numbers and getting yeah. results, and it starts with good drafting. That's yeah. how they got Tebow Teravainen. They landed an electrifying rookie named on, or Timmy Panarin and a backup goalie out of nowhere named Scott Darling yeah. because of their scouts and the good scouting system they have. Yep. They recognize, like you said, who their core consists of. They locked up Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze to decade-long right. deals. Yeah. And then they signed Brent Seabrook to a multi-year extension. A lot of people thought, oh, he's probably going to test the market. Signs an eight-year deal. Right. That solidifies their back end. You got Keith, you got Seabrook for... Uh, several years to come. And then you have a guy like Joe Quenville and his solid uh, assistant coaches um, leading them in the right direction. What everything you need to build a championship-winning team, this team possesses it. And they're not an old-school dynasty because the days of the Edmonton Oilers and the New York Islanders dominating, those, those days are gone. But they're the closest thing to a dynasty you are ever going to see in today's NHL, without a doubt. Yeah, and uh, all, yeah, as you said, a lot has to, um, a lot of credit has to go to Stan Bowman um, yeah. for uh, you know for getting the roster together um, and everything. And you would think that you know Patrick Sharp was a big part of their team, but you know they ship him off and they're still doing well. Yeah. So um, and then there was also like rumors. Uh, earlier, I don't know if it was in 2015, it may have been late 2014, but there were rumors that Patch, there was like clubhouse um, things going on with uh, Patrick Sharp and like Duncan Keith or something. There's tensions in there, but um, those are just rumors. And then, you know, they're able to, and then with the Patrick Kane stuff, they're able to like, I uh, get they all the keep yeah they they keep, they keep on guys. rolling even regardless of what the media the negative attention they get um, for that so um, yeah so respect to them uh, and then uh, so yeah that's our list uh, hope you liked it let us know if you uh, if we missed anyone um, or if you yeah, think feel free to disagree we won't yeah, bite we won't bite exactly. Um, but, uh, that should take us to our Bruins and Sens segment. Um, we did miss three days, but they did just play. I know that you said that you were at church, so you didn't watch the game. Not, not all of it. I watched some of it, but the third period I wasn't there to win. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting game. We didn't play that, the Bruins didn't play that well. I always say we when I mean the Bruins. Um, I should stop yeah, doing it. Yeah, we should it. mention, he's a Bruins fan, I'm a Sens fan. This is if the, you couldn't tell. the most totally unbiased segment in this whole podcast. If you couldn't tell, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so the, the, 
yeah, our, um, it was kind of interesting too because we uh, Ju- Claude Julian uh, scratched Colin Miller out instead of um, the other Miller, um, yeah. but uh, and then there was like a couple like the first goal from Mark Stone hit Seidenberg's skate that shouldn't have gone in, but then we got a lucky bounce too with our Krejci goal. Um, it's looking like uh, Krug and Krejci are out. Uh, Krejci didn't play the entire third, and Krug was out the entire game. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm I'm waiting to see how they're doing. Uh, Pasternak. Um, We're loaning him to. The they chase, might. I believe, they might. They, yeah. They might. They haven't decided officially yet. Uh, I think the decision is on Monday when the roster unfreezes. Yeah, when the roster freeze ends, yeah. Um, but uh, it's looking like they might send him to Czech Republic, which would be cool considering that Zibaril, who's also on, who's on that Czech team, so it would be interesting to see like the two Bruins guys, uh, first-round picks, um, the past two years play again with each other. But... Um, yeah. Um, oh, and then and then uh, the Sabers game last week, uh, yesterday, where we um, where we were up by three one, and then we kind of we pulled the Maple Leafs and gave up. Um, yeah, uh, a mini a mini Maple Leafs, I should say. Um, and we uh, lost. Uh, we gave up like six goals and. Or no, five goals in ten minutes, um, and that's just that's like I've been saying this all along, all season. Is that the Bruins just have really shaky defense? So it's like you can score as much as you want, but it's like if you don't, defense is everything. So um, those games are going to happen. Um, so it's like uh, I look forward to the Winter Classic on Friday. Especially with the Habs not playing well, it's going to be interesting to see who can suck less. Um, <laughs> but um, and then um, and so now we were second in the division and almost at the top. We could have been at the top, but um, now we're um, tied for fifth, uh, third with you guys. Yeah. Now um, you're in the long jam with the rest of them. Exactly. So I think that's it for me. Um, I don't know. The Sen- that was the Sens' first game back, right? Um, since the Christmas break, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, Boston looked good heading the final two games before the Christmas break. They were yeah. at a point 13 of 14. That's true. They, they, they did look good. They, yeah, they got blanked at home against St. Louis. and They only lost 2 nothing. in all fairness. It was scoreless after 40 minutes. Right. But, but you drop a 6-3 decision to the Sabres at TD Garden, and you give up five goals in the final 20 minutes. I don't care if you ate too much turkey. <laughs> or didn't get enough sleep uh, the day before, or if Jack Eichel was on his game and erupted for two goals and two hamburger helpers, which is precisely what he did to them on Saturday. Plain and simple, that's a game you have to win. Yep. Because the next night, you have to go to Ottawa and play a team that's got you in their sights in the Atlantic Division Stangs. That's a four-point game that means so much for, boy, for both teams, not just today but down the road. Because mm-hmm. you saw how Ottawa's late-season success against Boston affected the final six weeks of the regular season last year. Yep. And if, God forbid, your Bruins drop Tuesday's game to Ottawa in the second half of their <laughs> home and home, and we all know how dreadful the Bruins have been at TD Garden, that's another four points for Ottawa. Right. And in the worst-case scenario, zero points for the Beantown boys. 
And already Ottawa has gained ground, uh, gained two points um, in you in the standings. And if you lose another game in regulation, that's another two point game for them. Yeah. And then you have the entire league watching you in the grand spectacle. That's the Winter Classic, an event you're hosting against an arch rival like Montreal, who is just as hungry to get the monkey off their backs as you are wanting to get the monkey off your backs. Right. So the Bruins need to get back to work in the in a hurry because if they don't, all of a sudden. They'll be the ones trending in the wrong direction. They'll be the ones losing ground. Because no, the right. next game after the Winter Classic is on January 5th against, in my opinion, the hottest team in the, in the league, the Washington Capitals. I'll be at that game, actually. But uh, yeah. yeah. And then they play the Devils and Sens on back-to-back <laughs> nights on the road. Then they yeah. visit the Always Deadly Rangers, a Philly squad that's starting to get their act together. And then potentially the same uh, the same uh, Buffalo Sabres lineup that just slapped them silly six to three a couple of nights ago. Yeah. So again, this this is where you this is the the part in the season where you you need to avoid getting into a rut. Yep. And depending on the injury situation to Tory Krug and the injury situation to David Krejci, they they could be left vulnerable here. No, that's a good point. This is an important week, an important month for them. But to me, like the way I look at it right now is that we have a lot of issues with our team, even if Krug and Krejci are healthy. Um, so like, I'm just happy to be in this point right now. Um, I know that's a strange, that's like a mature way to, to look at it. Um, but I feel like down the line, you know, like, I feel like our defense is our biggest issue. So, like, um, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm devastated at the loss yesterday. It's just, like, unbelievable um, that we lost that way. Um, but, like, it's something that I should, you know, I should respect with how our defense has been. So, uh, there's that. Um, but, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I was... I was I was hopefully transitioning you to the Senators. I wasn't expecting you to talk about well, my Bruins. I'm going to get to that because, you know, they, <laughs> they just beat Boston. Right. Um, they're coming off a tough stretch in December. They came away with just one of a possible four points in their Florida road trip. And as you might have guessed, they lost both games to their division rivals. Fifth straight loss away from the Canadian Tire Center. Their seventh straight loss against teams that don't reside in the Sunshine State. The last time they beat a non-trop a team in a non-tropical environment was the Colorado Avalanche, and that was back on November 25th. How's that for a totally useless day? Yeah. Anyways, getting <laughs> off topic, their next three road games are as follows. In Boston on Tuesday, and again, the Bruins haven't been that good at home, and Ottawa's been struggling on the road, so something's got to get there. They're in Chicago on Sunday, and their home record, the Blackhawks' home record, as of Boxing Day, is 14-4-1. Wow. And then you have St. Louis on January the 4th. At last check, they're 12-6-2 at home ice. And then they get to embark on their Death Valley road trip in a few weeks, which at this point last year, I was thinking, and this was when Anderson just got hurt and Hammond was coming in, I'm just thinking, oh boy, this is where this is where it all ends. You can, this is where we can write them off. Um, so, and, and that turned out to be their saving grace, as a matter of fact. Right. Um, but before they get to embark on their Death Valley road trip, they get to face Obi and the Cavs on January 10th. In between all that, you get to host Boston again and Florida. So that's 
more taking care of business in the division. Uh, two division rivals who um, could potentially have the Atlantic division spot depending on when you face them and how well they're doing um, the next time you collide pass, uh, their pass collide. Um, and both sides are going to have their hands full in January. Both sides are probably going to drop a few games. I'm talking about Boston and Ottawa here. So that's why those right. three head-to-head matchups in a two-week stretch are going to be so crucial. And if Ottawa's going to have success, like you said about Boston, their defensive approach needs to improve. And I don't know if it's just me, but they seem too laid back on defense. All I see is the other team getting way too many chances, way too many odd-man rushes, and far too many shots on goal. The good news is their goaltending has disguised some of those issues. The bad news is while this, when the centers are the ones generating offense, they're being too sneaky, they're being too fancy, and they're making it way too easy for the goalie at the other end. They didn't do what they did last year because they had plenty of skill. They worked hard. They didn't give up. And when you work hard, you find ways to win at any level. That's what Ottawa needs to do. And on their second goal, I will give them credit. Bobby Ryan put the puck on net. Juicy rebound by Rask. Zibanejad's right there to tap it in. That proves to be the game winner. That's what you need to do. That's how you need to win hockey games. But you're going to lose a lot more hockey games than you're going to win if you let the team um, you're playing against outchance you, outshoot you for most of the game. And Anderson faced, again, 30-plus shots tonight. And and that can't happen. Long term, that's going to catch up to you. So they really need to crack down defensively there. Yeah, it's. I, I think we're both in the same... Both the Bruins and the Senators are in the same situation where this is like an important couple of weeks where, you know, we need to see what they're really made of. Um, and, and, and the rest of the season, the final three months are, are going to be huge because I checked the standings last night. 12 points is all that separates first place in the Atlantic from last place in the Atlantic. Yeah. That's the lowest margin out of the four divisions. <laughs> Less than a month ago, the Red Wings were 12 points back of the division-leading Habs. Yeah. They were tied last night with Montreal for the Atlantic Division lead, and they have two games in hand. Well, now Florida is the in the lead with their oh, win today. Go. Who saw that coming, eh? Exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, Florida has 44 points, Detroit and Montreal have 43 points, and Boston and Ottawa has 42 points. Tampa Bay has 39. Um, Toronto won today, too, so they, they're they edging up, too, but they have 33. Buffalo has 34. Um, so, yeah, they're all, like, really, really close together. It's probably the tightest, I think it's the tightest division, yeah, as you is. mentioned. Currently, right now, it is. Um, yeah, um, which uh, is kind of crazy, too, especially when you have teams like Buffalo and Toronto. Who yeah. are on like a? They're not there yet, kind of. They're, they're not above five hundred, but they're doing better than a lot of people expect. Sure, yeah. The uh, Buffalo played really well last night. Uh, they were re- very resilient. So, um, but um, yeah, exactly. So like every win matters. Every th- game matters. So yeah, as you mentioned, the uh, Bruins play Ottawa at home. Um, that should be exciting. It's an important game as well. Um, and I, I look forward to watching the Winter Classic on uh, Friday, um, especially with Montreal and how they're doing. So I think um, that should be exciting. It's probably our biggest game of the year. Yeah, I'm um, also so. looking forward to watching the Winter Classic. Two old rivals <laughs> hooking up. I don't 
have any favoritism for either side, <laughs> so I could just sit back and watch with yeah. without any worry of who's going to win or lose. Just and I'll watch be go at it and enjoy it. And I'll be biting my nails <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> the entire time. Um, and and um, if you want to get uh, excited. For the Winter Classic, you should watch the uh, documentary uh, that Epix is showing, The Road to the Winter Classic. Um, I briefly briefly mentioned it last week, but uh, they had a good segment on Chara, where he was just walking around saying hi to all the locals. It was cool. Um, And Bergeron, you got to see Bergeron's kid. Um, And then this week they showed uh, Brad Marchand. it should be interesting this week because this is when Pacioretty had that big like speech post game where he's like he was just fed up with everything. Yeah. So I want to see how they do that. Um, and there's, there's also something to keep in mind. Brendan Gallagher. Yeah. Is back skating in, in practice. Yeah. He. And there are talks that he could join the house for the road trip. So wouldn't it be fitting? If the first game he plays is against the Winter, the Bruins, Classic. The winter Classic, yeah, that they're would say- be just peachy for you. Wouldn't yeah, it? they they sh- <laughs> exactly they showed on the documentary that they're pl- like that's uh, Gallagher's goal is he wants to be ready by the time for the Winter Classic. So um, yeah, Marshall wouldn't have it any other way. I'm sure. Watch <laughs> <laughs> um, those two go at it. That yeah, yeah, they're definitely interesting. Um, but yeah, it's uh, um. It's fun for, like, a... It's weird watching it as a Bruins fan, that, that documentary, because, like, I'm watching the... Uh, all the Bruins segments. I'm like, oh, right, Claude Julian... Like, you get to see the difference between Claude Julian and Therion, and they're not too different, but, like, you get, you actually get the sense that, oh, Julian's actually, like, a good coach. Um, you know, he has, like, a very motivated... motivation of speech... Um, his, all his speeches are very motivated. Side of them, especially in the lo- yeah. in, in the local arena, like yeah. uh, outside of the hockey rink, like what they are as people too. Exactly, and like Nesson has uh, behind the B, but it, it doesn't really get into like the actual personalities of the players, yeah. um, or the people. So um, that I found found like this is this is uh, much better than what I or uh, Nesson does, but um. Yeah, it's uh it's a cool documentary I should mention. But um all right, um I think that's it. Uh yeah. we'll probably talk about the Winter Classic next week. Um yeah, as and well as the World Juniors will as well as the World Junior. knockout stage by then. Yep. And um and as well as a lot of other NHL stuff that's sure to come out. So uh so Feel, feel free to tune in for that once again. You can yep. follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Uh, any hockey questions you can send to us, laceupbag at gmail.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Lace Them Up on Facebook. You can hit the like button there to get uh, caught up with all uh, the hockey news there. Uh, until then, I am Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk again in episode 13 yep. of the Lace Them Up podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. <laughs>